This program is brought to you by Resonance 104.4 FM. If you like what you hear and want to support our work, please make a donation at fundraiser.resonance.fm. You're listening to Panel Borders on Resonance 104.4 FM and DAB in London. And today's program is a special look at the output of Avery Hill Publishing. Later in the show, I'll be talking to Eisner Award nominee Tilly Walden about her latest book, The City Inside, as well as her classic, The End of Summer. But before that, I'm talking to artist Rachel Smith about her latest book, The Rabbit, as well as her contributions to Doctor Who comics in a Q&A recorded at the Birmingham Comic Book Festival. One of the books you're selling on your stall is your new graphic novel, The Rabbit, which was published by Avery Hill. Before I started recording, you said it's part of the Rachel Smith universe, (laughs) but at the same time, it's kind of a magical realist tale about giant rabbits. So um, I guess you were trying to balance the kind of realistic teenage drama that you're known for with a bit of an Alice in Wonderland pastiche. Yeah, that's exactly it, really. Um, Yeah, The Rabbit is, it's about the relationship between two sisters, uh, but the way in which we kind of uh, learn about them is through this giant talking rabbit that they've befriended uh, so it's a little bit realistic meets uh, surreal uh, but yeah it's very it's a very character driven uh, story um, mm. but yeah it's very very magical <laughs> at the same time where did the idea of using the rabbit as some kind of uh, exploration of uh, teenage rebellion <laughs> come about? <laughs> Someone asked me this earlier, actually, and I couldn't think of a way of answering it without sounding absolutely crazy. No, crazy's uh, good. But, <laughs> yeah, I guess... Um, it, it, like, I wanted to write a story about a monster, I suppose, mm. and a rabbit just, uh, to me, seemed quite a funny monstrous animal because rabbits are you know Mm. not not very scary at all but uh to kind of make a really scary rabbit and craig it's the name of the rabbit he was (laughs) like so much fun to draw i just had so much fun with it um so uh i'm not really sure where it came from if i'm honest uh my brain i suppose (laughs) but yeah Uh, (laughs) like once i'd started writing it it kind of evolved on its own Uh, Mm. a bit like craig the rabbit (laughs) i mean you're you're probably too young but it made me think of um uh, a terrible comedy from the 1970s with jim dale called digby the largest dog in the world (laughs) no okay that's fine Clifford the big red dog? I don't know that. Uh, Yeah. Okay, I will look that up when I get home. Nice. Um, But it it seems to be that kind of using animals in your work is kind of, I don't want to say a phase, but a thing that you're doing at the moment because you're also doing um, backup strips in the Doctor Who comic uh, where the Doctor is getting romantic advice uh, from his new pet cat. We've just moved to the airport. Some dinosaurs migrating in the background. Uh, (laughs) They've packed up early. What time is it? I don't know. It's only like four or something. (laughs) Two hours yet, guys. It's like El Caf all over again. We can't find anywhere quiet. (laughs) Well, that was funny because El Caf, we were outside as well, but it was super hot. It's like the opposite. (laughs) Yeah. Well, you know, April in Britain. April in Britain, yeah. Will you be at El Caf this year? Uh, Yeah, I don't see why not. Amazing. Yeah, me too. I forgot what my question was. Uh... Um, rabbits oh yes yeah uh, and the cat in Doctor Who oh yes so I do the the humour strips in the 10th Doctor comic series for Titan and uh, yeah that's basically uh, so uh, the Doctor is really heartbroken after uh, leaving Rose Tyler Mm. uh, 
And uh, so, and to me, that felt very much like a breakup. So the the comics I do are basically breakup comics. Like he does a sort of cliche breakup thing, like most. <laughs> time so uh he tries to like go on a shopping spree and fill his life with stuff and then uh he eats those ice cream and stuff like that and the the he buys a cat which is quite a cliche thing to do after a breakup i think uh and the cat kind of gives him advice on what he should do and so uh yeah they're really silly uh, things but they've been a lot of fun as well to do I mean, is the cat your voice in that conversation i guess yeah um <laughs> I mean, yeah, he does a lot of stuff that I've been through, like, with mm. breakups, so I guess, uh, yeah. And he calls the cat Rose as well, so it's, um, it gets a bit, little bit confusing <laughs> at one point. But, um, yeah, she's, I mean, she misunderstands humans, their habits quite a lot, so that's where the humour comes from a lot of the time. Like, mm. you know, it's a cat telling <laughs> you what to do probably isn't the best idea, but <laughs> he doesn't know what else to do, so he listens to her, but... Mm. Um, yeah, <laughs> but obviously uh, the rabbit in the rabbit occupies a very different position. I guess it's the sense of having uh, responsibilities as you're growing up, mm. and uh, metaphorically they get larger and larger. While in yeah. the case of the rabbit, it gets larger and larger. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean the rabbit kind of represents a lot of things in the book, and uh, a lot of people have asked me like whether he's real, like mm. in the story, and I think you kind of have to uh, decide that for yourself. Um, mm. Like he's certainly real to the to the two girls in the story, um, but yeah, he's a lot more. Like he starts off being very nice and sort of cloying, and then he ends up being quite commanding and mm. uh, horrible. Um, but yeah, that's the, the, the responsibility thing is certainly part of what he represents, um, and the fact that this choice that they've the girls have made to run away mm. probably isn't the best idea. And <laughs> mm. Yeah, so. Is is any of it based on, uh, if not autobiography, than experiences that some of your friends had growing up? Not really. I used to think about, like, I had a lovely childhood, mm. but I think every kid kind of has a bit of a fantasy about what would happen if I just ran away. Like, yeah. what? <laughs> So I used to think about that quite a lot, and I used to think about what I would pack and stuff <laughs> like that. I never did it. Um, but, yeah, I think that's kind of... Um, it's maybe something that most people have thought about when they were kids so mm. I was hoping that would kind of be a bit relatable um, mm. but yeah not not a thing that many kids actually do so to see these two young girls uh, actually doing it is quite satisfying I think at the beginning of the story and mm. you're just you, you need to know what happens to them you're a bit like oh please be alright <laughs> <laughs> so yeah I think it's a good hook there's a really nice um, section in the book where you show the artwork that's drawn by one of the characters in the book. So you have to alter your style to make it a bit scratchier to be the yeah. kind of work you might expect from a younger artist. <laughs> um, how did you find that experience? Um, yeah, that was a really... It's just... It's a really strange page, that one. Um, and I thought I would do it and I, I thought Ricky from Avery Hill might be like, oh, maybe you should just stick to doing a proper comic. But he really loved that page and... Um, so I kind of, it was challenging to kind of not draw like myself. And I, mm. it, it, I, it, you can tell it's my drawing, obviously, but like, yeah, it's, it's like a page of her diary mm. and she's explaining kind of how, why she takes her frustrations out on her sister. And it's kind of, um, it's done with kind of, it's very... Uh, Sorry, I'm rambling. Uh, she, she's not being very serious about it, mm. but it, it is actually quite a serious thing because she's, you know, bullying her little sister. Um, so it was that kind of uh, 
marrying of those two very different uh, ideas, I guess, mm. uh, into this strange, <laughs> strange page. And I guess you feel a little bit voyeuristic because you're mm. you're reading this young girl's diary and you're not really supposed to be. And, but it's yeah. You yeah. didn't ring up your parents and say, have you kept any artwork from when <laughs> I was... <laughs> so I can see what I drew no. like back then. <laughs> that would have been a good idea, actually. But uh, <laughs> no, I just... Um, yeah, it was a challenge. And yeah, you're right, it is kind of a lot scratchier than mm. my stuff. Um, but yeah, it was fun. It was fun to do. <laughs> so how did this end up being published by Avery Hill? Um, I... What happened? I showed them, like, the first... Uh, 15 pages at Thought Bubble mm. and um, Ricky was just like yeah we're interested in this um, like when you've got it when you've got more of it show it us um, so yeah just from there really and then um, uh, then he just kept buying me drinks until I said yes uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, and I believe your next project is going to feature reoccurring characters from your previous book so are you allowed to say anything about that? Uh, yeah sure it's um, the next book's called Artificial Flowers and it um, follows uh, Siobhan, who was the girl with the blue hair in House Party. It's kind of about what she did next. Mm. Um, so we're going forward a few years. She's in her like late 20s now rather than her early 20s, which she was in House Party. Um, and she's trying to make it as a fine artist in London. And she's finding it difficult. Um, and then her little brother gets sent to stay with her who is Chris from I Am Fire. Ah, um, and it really isn't it? A Rachel Smith verse. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and he's been kind of banished from his parents' house because he keeps setting things on fire. And they think uh, to fix this problem, they'll just make him stay with his big sister for a while. So neither of them are very happy about this situation. Um, but they kind of make a plan uh, to help each other. Uh, but it means keeping quite a big secret from everybody. Uh, but yeah, so I think that's all I'm allowed to say. Okay, watch this space. <laughs> Thank you very much. Thank you so much. You can find out more information about Rachel Smith's comics by going to rachelsmithillustration.blogspot.com and Rachel Smith's Doctor Who comic book strip appears in the 10th Doctor comic published by Titan, reprinted also in Tales from the TARDIS. Finally, in today's show, I'm talking to Tilly Walden, a 20-year-old graphic novelist who already has three titles under her belt, including the Eisner Award-nominated The End of Summer, and two other titles published by Avery Hill, I Love This Part, and her new book, A City Inside. I'm talking to Tilly about all three books and how she broke into making graphic novels. So your new graphic novel, uh, novella, comic, I don't know what you want to call it, um, A City Inside, is just about to be published by Avery Hill in the UK. And this is your third project with them, following I Love This Part and The End of Summer. How did you first get involved with the company? Well, so a long time ago, or at least it feels like a long time ago, uh, when I was in high school, um, started posting my work online and my dad helped me make a website. I made Twitter. Um, and somehow, uh, Ricky Miller, one of the co-publishers at Avery Hill saw my work on Twitter, which led him to my website. And he read all the comments that were on there and he sent me an email asking if I wanted to maybe do something, that maybe a book or publish an anthology or something like that. And, uh, I emailed back and very politely said no, because <laughs> I was in high school and also I had never heard of them. And I, I, I didn't feel like I was ready to be published. Mm. Um, and so I thought I said, Hey, why don't we get back in touch when I graduate school, uh, in 2014? Um, 
And they were like, cool, yeah, great. And I honestly thought that that was the end of it, that we would never get back in touch and they would forget about me and it would be fine. Um, but then, uh, in, you know, uh, maybe late 2014, I got an email from Ricky and he said, uh, hey, if you remember us, we'd still love to do a book. We've still been following your work. And at that point, I was had already enrolled in a comic school in Vermont. And so comics had sort of become my life. And I was like, oh, yeah, let's do it. That sounds great. Um, and then I got to know them and we put the end of summer together. And it was the start of a now lasting relationship. Mm. I mean, really, for the kind of internet generation, it's kind of a dream come true because I guess loads of people put their work online hoping to be discovered and it literally happened to you. Yeah, it was. Honestly, I think it was because of a retweet. We've Ricky has tried to find out how it was that he saw my work and he <laughs> thinks a friend of his, Mike, retweeted uh, one of my tweets and that was it. That's what made it happen. Mm. Um, presumably before the end of summer you'd already done a few short comics and this wasn't just your opening um, salvo into the uh, graphic novel world yes I had done quite a few short comics um, I think but you know they'd only ever been about 20 pages long that was the longest one um, and I was in school at the time and all my assignments were comics so ah. I, was, I was very busy with comics mm. and had you been self-publishing and distributing them to friends or at conventions you know, I had never gone to a convention, and I had never thought about distributing my comics. All I did was put them online. Wow. Um, and I had never I had never actually thought about them in print in any way until I got in touch with Avery Hill. And, you know, I'm sure if I hadn't gotten in touch with them, I would have eventually figured out the whole mini-comics thing and done conventions and all that. But I kind of got to skip that step. Mm. So your first book, The End of Summer, apart from the fact that it's now been uh, Eisner-nominated, so is presumably being discovered by loads of new people, it actually has kind of a European feel to it. Um, the story is reminiscent of various kind of Edwardian novels like uh, C.S. Lewis's fantasies, like, I don't know, perhaps The Women in White. Were those the kind of influences that have been um, important to you in your formative years? because I, I never really, I didn't read much growing up, um, but I looked at a lot of pictures. Uh, and I think I think there's definitely a European feel to the end of summer that I'm sure uh, came from me looking at a lot of photo books of cathedrals and architecture from that, <laughs> from that area. But really, like, most of it was just kind of out of my head. Mm. I was kind of making it up as I was going along, uh, which I think makes it a pretty strange book because <laughs> it is sort of disconnected from a lot of things. But it gives it that dreamlike quality, I guess. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Perhaps um, also a clue to uh, one of its sources is that the giant cat in it is called Nemo. Um, and indeed, it does have a feel <laughs> of Windsor Mackay to some of the uh, the page layouts. Um, was uh, Little Adventures of Nemo in Slumberland uh, an influence? Yeah, that is a very obvious influence. And I named the cat Nemo, Nemo, uh, as a straight homage to Winsor McKay. Mm. Uh, when I was a kid, my dad got me one of the Little Nemo in Slumberland books. And mm. it was like, really, it was one of those really giant books. Um, and I was, I was a kid, I was like five when he got it for me. And I remember I could sit on it and read the comics because it was just bigger than I was. And, uh, it really gave me this idea for creating these giant worlds because I would sit there and look at his drawings and it just felt so massive. Mm. Um, but yeah, a huge, a huge influence. And I've tried, I'm trying with all my books to name a cat, name the cats after inspiring characters. So <laughs> the cat in the city inside is named Nancy because I'm a big Nancy fan, uh, Ernie Bushmiller. Uh, okay. 
Um, having gone from comics that you distributed online to comics in print via Avery Hill, um, were you previously formatting comics for the screen, i.e. Uh, landscape, and then had to move into portrait format. I only ask because looking at the end of summer, it does look like a lot of the pages are two lots of two uh, rows stacked on top of each other, as if you were used to yeah. landscape and then kind of added them together. Yeah, I had been I had been making comics for the web in a lot of different formats, mm. and so I hadn't really been doing anything cohesive for print. So when I did do the end of summer. I know I wanted it to be on a nine-panel grid because I liked the chaos of that. <laughs> uh, but I did sort of have to re- – I had to sort of rethink how I approached the page because it was going to be in print. And I also had to remember that, you know, part of the print experience is page turns. So I sort of had to place pages strategically. Mm. It's interesting the way that your characters interact with their environment. Obviously, Nemo is a giant cat in the end of summer, but also your characters in that book seem to be dwarfed by their environment. And then you go to um, your second comic. I love this part where it's the other way around, where the characters are giants yeah. <laughs> uh, in the landscape. I wonder if you know there's some sort of Alice in Wonderland thing going on there. Yeah, I, I really am fascinated about how... Uh about when you're drawing, how you draw characters interacting with a space. And I sort of realized by the time I did, I love this part, that I could really, there was no reason why I couldn't just draw characters interacting in any way I want to. Like, for instance, when I love this part, they're very large and the, the world around them is very small. And before doing that book, I had sort of been a little unsure if I should do that because it felt a little too surreal. Mm. Um, but I realized that's what I enjoyed drawing. Um, and so I figured that's what I should do. And and now with the city inside, I think there's some of that in there where a lot of the parts of the story uh, are about the characters and the places sort of together. And I wonder as well if you're kind of setting yourself a different challenge uh, with each book. So with your first book, there was obviously a definitive grid that you mainly adhered to but broke occasionally on each page. Then with, um, I love this part, it's basically one panel per page with each kind yeah. of uh, vignette happening a little time apart and then the audience kind of constructs the pace of the narrative in their heads and then obviously with this new book you've come up with a different format again yeah I think I like doing that I like coming up with a format that I feel like suits uh, the idea of the story and then I try and work in that and uh, try and, and build the story within that frame I think it makes it a little easier for me because if I start a story and, and just stare at a blank page it feels a little overwhelming mm. so like when I started the end of summer and I could just think about the grid and think about the story and putting them together it didn't seem that hard and also in terms of the look of uh, I guess the way your pen is reproduced assuming that you use uh, real tools and we can get onto that um, with your first two yeah. books you've got quite a delicate line and what looks like a watercolour wash but with um, the city inside it's really dense black and white and there's no kind of half tone it's all about cross hatching and thick black areas and uh, it's far more like I don't know say the work of Eddie Campbell or people who use yeah you know, printing presses rather than, you know, uh, a brush, I guess. Yeah, I really, uh, with each book, I wanted to sort of do a different thing. The end of summer, I wanted to uh, really get a delicate line. And then I love this part. I wanted to play with color. And then for A City Inside, I was really determined to play with texture and cross-hatching and just try and find all the tones that I needed with just my pen. Uh, and it was really fun because I haven't drawn like that in a while. I was looking at a lot of Edward Gorey before I drew 
uh, city inside and that kind of got into me. And again, it's a kind of delicate romance uh, like your previous book. When it comes to kind of the content, I guess Avery Hill are quite open to how many pages you want to use, how large the uh, format of the paper is. But um, I guess perhaps you have some expectations now with your audience, the kind of stories that you want to tell. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And Avery Hill is super open. You know, my, when I told them about A City Inside, it just came together really quick. I just said I had this idea for a thing, and I sent Ricky a document and uh, with just a little write-up of what I wanted it to be, and he loved it, and we did it. Um, so, yeah, every – I mean, you know, we've had the conversation uh, of where they've told me that, you know, really any any project that I'm passionate about or that or story that I'm interested in, um, they'll do. They'll they'll get behind it because they trust me as a creator. And then yeah, now my audience, I think more and more, I'm getting a larger LGBTQ audience. Mm. So uh, they're they're expecting more of that gay narrative in it, which I think <laughs> is great because um, I I love drawing gay characters. Mm. Uh, so that's that's definitely interesting. Mm. And it's interesting in a way as well that. Um... Uh, the new book is kind of a summation of the styles of the two previous books. You get certain pages that are just a single yeah. panel, and then it condenses down in a way to numerous panels and then comes back out again. As if, I don't know, you're using the um, panel st- structure as a way of pacing the narrative, while previously it was far more regimented. Yeah, definitely. The the format definitely broke down more with The City Inside. And it's funny that you say that. My editor said the exact same thing, where he <laughs> thought uh, A City Inside took from both books. Uh, and I think he's right. I think A City Inside has a lot of the sort of world-building surreal stuff from the end of summer, and then it also has the sort of delicate romance uh, from I Love This Part. Mm. Um, so yeah, it, it, it was sort of a, a fun book to do, because I felt like I was bringing a lot into it. Mm. I mean, I, I guess with any publisher, the kind of books that they bring out reflect a certain amount of the tastes and interests of the editors. But it's interesting that Avery Hill now have two uh, artists working with them who have an interest in architecture, um, your good self and uh, Owen Pomery. I mean, he is also yeah, a practicing architect. Where does your interest in kind of mixing comics and architecture come from? You know, I don't, I don't really know. And I actually don't have any formal training with architecture. Mm. Um, I've only ever learned just how to draw in school, but I've always been, it's, it's been a lifelong interest. I've always been fascinated by buildings and, and just, you know, any type of architecture around me. I always paid a special attention to it as a kid. And as I got older, I started looking at pictures online and looking at books and I just, I just couldn't stop looking at it. I had this, this deep fascination. And so when I started creating stories, it was just a natural progression that I would put these, all this architecture that I've been looking at growing up in my stories. Hmm. Um, and I have, you know, it's, it's, it's pretty silly. I look at like real estate listings <laughs> because I like just looking at the interiors of houses. And, uh, and I, I try to uh, look at as much, as many images of architecture as I can um, when I'm not working or when I'm relaxing, because when when I get back to the drawing board, then I have all these different ideas sort of just floating in the back of my mind, and I can sort of draw on those uh, those images to create something new. Because mm. I try not to look at reference. I try not to look at reference when I draw uh, backgrounds because I think it comes out a little more weird when I don't get reference, and it looks more like a building I made up, which I really like. Mm. Um, so that's cool. Well, I guess it's your subconscious mixing bits of real buildings together to form kind of a new structure. Out That's of exactly it. At. That's exactly it. Yeah. 
and it's fun that way because as you know, like when I was drawing the end of summer, um, every page I would do, I would, I was basically making up a new room in this giant home that they live in, mm. uh, which was, which was cool. I, I enjoy, I enjoyed, uh, every day feeling like I could make up another corner of this world. How long have you been at the, um, cartooning college in Vermont? Because it almost feels like there's not much th- more that you need to learn. <laughs> You, uh, you know, surprisingly, I just graduated uh, ah, okay. last week. So it was it was a two year program, uh, and I just finished, um, and that's it. So now I, I'm they're sending me out into the world, uh, <laughs> and I'm planning on doing comics full time now. Fantastic. So actually, did you use some of these comics as your kind of um, work that you used as uh, project work and illustration to display while you're on the course? Yeah, actually, so the second year of school, you have to uh, do a thesis, or, or at the end of your second year, you have to basically show all the work you've done uh, in the school year, and part of what I turned in for my thesis was, I love this part, Kansas City Inside. Ah. And were there any requirements yeah. at all in terms of the work that you had to do on the course, or was it very open? Oh, it's very open. They just wanted to see you uh, creating all year long uh and, you know, doing, doing good work. Uh, so that was really it. Mm. So I turned those things in. So you've done three kind of medium-length comics now, 80-odd uh, pages, 50-odd pages. What sort of uh, lengths of projects do you think you might do going forward? Well, I'm working on something right now that hasn't been announced yet, but it should be in, like, the next week. That is about 400 pages long. Wow. Uh, <laughs> so that's long. Uh, yeah. Yeah, you're telling me. Um <laughs> But a lot of it is already drawn, um, and I've really enjoyed working at this length. So I think, you know, in the years to come, uh, I think the next Avery Hill book, we're talking about maybe being around 100 pages or a little longer. Um, but I think I'm going to sort of explore the space between 60 pages and 400 pages. Right now, I think 400 is my limit. <laughs> so I think the books I'll be doing will land somewhere in between there. But I do want to do uh, some longer work. Hmm. I mean, I got the impression that some of your shorter work was almost like a stream of consciousness, that you allowed the story to develop and there wasn't necessarily a word length in mind. Um, Presumably when you're doing a 400-page book, though, you have to plot it out in advance. Yeah, like for the 400-page book, I had to plan all of it. But like when I was doing I Love This Part, I actually didn't know how many pages it would be. I just simply drew it and let the story play itself out and and it just naturally landed around that length. Hmm. And it's nice, actually, that publishers like Avery Hill don't have uh, a necessary requirement for a page length because I guess we all think of comics, uh, American comics, uh, being about 30 pages and then graphic novels being 100 pages plus. And the kind of mid-ground is something that hasn't really been explored until recent years. Yeah, it's a really cool format. And it's funny, like, you know, City Inside, when we originally talked about it, I said it was going to be like 30 pages, but it's... And they were totally fine with publishing that, just publishing like a saddle-stitched, uh, stapled book. But then it ended up being longer because the more I worked on it, the more stuff I wanted to put in the story. Um, but yeah, Every Hill is super, they're super flexible when it comes to the size and formatting and length of the book, which is really nice as a creator. Mm. And I guess congratulations are due for the uh, Eisner nomination. Has that led to Thank new you. people uh, discovering your work? Yes, I think so. My website hits are going crazy. <laughs> Fantastic. <laughs> cool. Well, thank you very much for finding the time to talk to me. Yeah, of course. Thank you so much. No problem.
For more information about Tilly Walden's work, please go to tillywalden.com. That's T-I-L-L-I-E-W-A-L-D-E-N.com. And if you're a comic book creator, publisher, editor, historian, or librarian, you can vote in this year's Eisner Awards, and Tilly Walden's The End of Summer is well worth a vote, as are books by other previous guests on Panel Borders, including the Graphic Medicine Manifesto, which has been nominated for Best Academic Publication, and the Anthology 24-7, which includes work by the likes of Warwick Johnson Cadwell, Joe DeSee, Dan Berry, and others. You can find the Eisners at www.eisnervote.com. That's E-I-S-N-E-R-Vote.com. And for more information about Avery Hill Publishing, please go to averyhillpublishing.com. There are various comic book events taking place in London and further afield. Currently running at the Cartoon Museum until the end of the month is the excellent exhibition The Great British Graphic Novel, which runs until the 24th of July and includes numerous examples of original artwork from classic British graphic novels. For more information about all Cartoon Museum events, please go to cartoonmuseum.org. At Gosh Comics, 1 Berwick Street in Soho, on July the 22nd, Lord Herc will be at Gosh, launching his new collection, Ready for Pop. And you can pick up signed copies of this pop art-inspired collection on Friday the 22nd from 7pm. For more information about all Gosh events, please go to goshlondon.com. At Orbital Comics, 8 Great Newport Street, near Leicester Square Tube, They're currently displaying an exhibition called Clear Line Clash, a celebration of Lean Claire art by Carl Stimson, and that's running from the 2nd of July until the 31st. For more information about all Orbital events, please go to orbitalcomics.com. Graphic Brighton will be returning to the University of Brighton on the 9th and 10th of December this year, and the focus for 2016's event is War Comics, and comic books set during wartime, so that also includes stories of survivors and suffragettes. Guests we hope to attend this year's festival include Brian and Mary Tolbert, Kate Evans and Paul Collicutt, plus many more. You can find more information about the festival by going to graphicbrighton.wordpress.com and if you're an academic looking forward to writing a paper on war comics for the event, there'll be a call for papers in September. Panel Borders was recorded, edited, introduced by Alex Fitch, and is a Panel Borders production. You can find all previous episodes of Panel Borders on our blog, www.panelborders.wordpress.com, follow Panel Borders on Twitter, and join the Panel Borders group on Facebook. And as ever, thanks for listening. This program has been brought to you by Resonance 104.4 FM. If you liked what you heard and want to support our work, please make a donation at fundraiser.resonance.fm.